All right, boys and girls, you're tuned in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. I'm here. I have a special guest with me today, Jake. I for, fuck, I forgot. I'm so bad with names. <laughs> What's your last name, Jake? Jones. Jake Jones. I knew it was a J, uh, but I didn't want to butcher it. I'm here with uh, Jake Jones, who, uh, uh, f- uh, what branch of the military were you in? I was in the Air Force for 15 years. Air Force, special ops? Uh, for part of the time, yes. For part of the time. And uh, and now you are you now you have a daughter. I do an amazing amazing daughter. How old is she? She's twelve. All right, so we're gonna get into uh, how he transitioned from the military uh, and special ops into uh, being a father, right? And uh, he has a a day job which we can't talk about uh, for uh, different reasons, but uh, but it's gonna be interesting. Uh, But we always want to start off every podcast with giving you guys the 1-800-SUICIDE number. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to therapy. Talk to someone. Call the number. You know, I do, uh, I've been in Vegas all week at the Comedy Cellar, and, you know, I talk about suicide on stage, and um, there's so many people who share their stories with me after the show and have not called the number. And I, I, it's like, and then I tell them to, and you can see that they, feel relieved that they have permission to now call the number. I'm like, call the number. I've called it. Talk to someone. It makes you feel 10 times better. Uh, it's not going to solve everything, but you will feel better and uh, and, and want to keep going. So uh, that's important. So, uh, so Jake, military, 15 years, um, special ops, a part of that. And so can you can you talk to us about that a little bit? Because, uh, you know, so I met Jake at, at where he works at and he was sharing his story with me and, and how the uh, the transition is rough. Right. Going from the military very rough. into a day job. Can you can you kind of tell us like uh, generally what you did in the military and then also, like, how they prepped you for that mentally. Because if you're going to the special ops, I assume there's some mental preparation for you. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I went into the military, like, right out of high school. So okay. um, I didn't really have many other options. Most people were just kind of hanging out, you know, going to junior college for eight, nine years. <laughs> until their moms kicked them out of the house. So right. I, was, I really wanted to do something different and get away. Um and I can get into my home life later, um, which kind of, once we talk about the military, I'll tie it back in for you. Um, so I wanted to just get away. I really wanted to be a firefighter. I grew up in Southern California, where I think every little boy wants to grow up to be a firefighter. I wanted to be a firefighter. And yeah. then I saw a backdraft, and I was like, nope. <laughs> it's one of those movies that when we watch it, we just tear it apart. We're like, that's not true. That's not going to happen. Um but so I was lucky enough to actually, you know, score well enough, you know, going into the military that I got to pick the job that I wanted to get. Um, so I went in through all the training, pretty intensive training to be a firefighter. Um, and a kind of unique fact that all branches of the military, if they're firefighters, go through the Air Force Fire Academy, which is kind of cool. Um, and so I, I did that, you know, got to my first base and, you know, just really kind of dove into that culture, which is definitely a unique culture. It's a like a subculture within the military. Mm-hmm. You're a military firefighter because firefighters are their own, like, animal altogether. It's kind of like kickers on a football team. Like, there's the special teams. Like, they, they train differently. They're separate. And, you know, like, 
It makes sense. Exactly. So it's like we, while we all, you know, were military, we all felt like we were just different than most of the other people anyway. Gotcha. And I'd imagine that's what, you know, like security forces feels like and stuff like that. Um, and so your mind starts to kind of adjust to that mentality where like, oh, yeah, we're part of them, but we might be <laughs> just... Might you know, be a little better. Yeah, yeah, a little, yeah, a little, little, yeah, a little bit better. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that feeling of superiority, for sure. We, we all like that. That's why we get the bottle service at the clubs. Or. <laughs> exactly. You know, you like to feel important. And, yeah. and when you have a team of people that are all boosting you up so they can feel good, too, that kind Absolutely. of feeds that. And you're young. Like, exactly. I mean, how old were you when you, when you went? I was, uh, I was 18 when I went into yeah. military. So, I mean, you're full of testosterone. I mean, you you're know? full of all... You're just naturally producing all these feel-good drugs. And, yeah, for sure. It, and it just aggression in your frontal your frontal lobe isn't fully developed you're not a thinking animal I think. <laughs> exactly it's 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 definitely a unique experience um and then so i did that for about four years um was getting ready to get out of the military actually after my first four and that's when uh september 11th happened and they stopped you know they basically enacted something called stop loss where they just stop you from getting out of the military they they're like no you're not going anywhere um what did that feel like for you? I mean, you put four years in, you're ready to get out, 9-11 hits. Is it, I would imagine there's like a mix of emotions there where one, you're like, wow, now we really want to serve our country and love our country. On the other hand, like you're probably looking forward to getting out and you had plans, you know, beyond the military. Can you, can you describe what that, what that feeling was? Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty bittersweet almost um you know when you train for your job for a really long time and and all of a sudden you know this thing that you associate with the u.s military and a firefighter and seeing like the people that got hurt and the people that were targeted during that um it really gives you that like want to act like you know like we saw a lot of firefighters die in in new york um with when the world trade centers came down and you know that struck home a lot too you know you really wanted to be part of that and then you can instantly feel for all those people that didn't die that were there because just to kind of put yourself in that position just mentally you're just like wow um and on the on the other end of it um i was going to get out i had a job lined up a really well-paying job Mm -hmm. that you know i had interviewed for and you know was like really aiming for and all of a sudden that kind of went away um they you know they don't have to hold a job that you never took right absolutely so um that happened and then we obviously ramped up really quick to deploy um and then we deployed out i actually left on thanksgiving day um which was a weird kind of feeling to fly out through new york city yeah um and then um head overseas um it was it was surreal just to kind of be in that area at that time and you know it's so close and then going we're taking the fight to the people that you know whatever bill of goods that they they sold us at the time of of, of why we were going or where we were going um yeah it, yeah so were you angry at this point or were you um like i like you're flying over new york it's thanksgiving day the day where you, you ideally would be with your family um can you can you kind of describe like what that feeling is or that that emotion at that time? Yeah, it, so I would say just fairly recently I'm I'm learning really well how to uh put my emotions into words. So it was like at the time like I have to really go back to that time and kind of see what I was feeling to even try to describe it so it might not be the best description. Um 
anger was definitely part of it. Um, you know, felt like attacked personally. How know? so? Um, our country. Right. One, yeah. You know, obviously we all signed up because we, well, I, I'd say most of us sign up because we, we care about this country and we want to, you know, do our part. Um, to, again, related to like the fire department and just like it was on home soil, like something we don't see. Right. It, it was really um, just a culmination of all those things kind of wrapped yeah, up. It, into was, one. it was shock. You were like, wow, I can't believe it. And I also felt um, vulnerable for the first time. You Ex- know what I mean? It was like that kind of thing happens to everybody else, not us. Exactly. And like I think you could just look at the way if you remember that day, the way you processed it when you were looking at, if you had the chance to sit there while that second plane flew into that tower, like that in your mind, you were trying to rationalize it like, oh, this just might be a, a terrible accident with air traffic control or something, something, you know, something crazy going wrong. Like it couldn't even register right. like what was happening, like what was really happening. And then so to get hit with that as it's coming out of what was happening, how we were targeted and then being ripped away from this life that I was preparing for and getting ready to deploy for a second time, like within a very short period of time. And it it was a lot like, uh, I think I handled it better than most. I would say the hardest part for me was trying to help the other guys. Like I was deploying in a position of leadership at that moment, not, you know, like mid-level leadership in the fire department where I'd have my own fire station, but not be in charge of all the firefighters right. kind of thing. Um, and so, so how those, many guys were you in charge of about at, um, at my station? We had, cause I was a, a, a shift supervisor kind okay. of position, a yep. station captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and at my station we had five guys. So not a lot. It was, we were really responsible um, for all the tents where everyone slept and we're like, where we spent our personal time. Right. Um, and then there was another fire department dedicated just to the flight line area. Got you. Um, and so a lot of times we'd rotate, but because of rank, you know, like they, they try to put you where right. you're going to best be suited. So you're, you're trying to manage your own emotions and, and about everything going on. And, and, but you're also having to manage the emotions of the, the guys that, who are, that you are um, leading. Exactly. Right? It was one, my emotions in private mm-hmm. because you can't, you don't want to amplify. You don't want to like be part of that, like right. that. Cause it starts to snowball. Absolutely. You know, negativity. Like if there's, you put one negative person in a group, give it enough time and that will spread. Like it'll spread through the whole group. Um, you'll take people that loved something and they'll not like it anymore. Um, so that was tough. Like just being there for them. And that deployment got really long. It was um, it was supposed to be a four month deployment, and yep. we were supposed to get relieved. But as they started ramping up, so we were more toward Afghanistan when they started wrapping up, ramping up Iraq. They kept diverting all the firefighters that were supposed to come relieve us. So what was supposed to be four months, they said, "Oh, we'll find out more in two weeks." Two weeks came. Oh, maybe next week. And it was just every. It was never. Hey, we're going to be another two months. It was always week by week wow. by week. And the anxiety just like ramping up, right? It, it was, it was, it destroyed people. It destroyed their relationships. It destroyed everything. Luckily, at the time, I had a very understanding girlfriend who was just, you know, like she was upset that I, because she missed me and like she Absolutely. had to keep waiting for right. me to come home. Right. 
but there were some wives and girlfriends that were just like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm not doing this anymore. Every week it's next week. You know, you know, like I can't imagine what they're feeling back home, always worrying, always, you know, like, uh, are they even going to call? Am I going to get a knock on the door? Like, you and know, plus, what's going to they got to talk to the children also. Exactly. And, 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 the, and the children are waiting and getting excited and, and, and that whole, and then having to keep disappointing them week after week. How did you, how did you mentally and emotionally cope with that week after week? I like what was your what were you telling yourself? Did you like you were like working out all the time? Like we see in the movies, guys are like Who's yeah, gonna hit the bag. Absolutely, we we do two a day workouts. You know, being in the fire department, it really afforded us like a luxury of being able to hit the gym every single day. We mm-hmm. we'd work twenty four on, twenty four off, just for the whole time. So if you, one day you're off, one day you're not. You're uh, working 24 hours and 24 off? Yes, but in the fire department, like, it's different. You can sleep. So, you know, you, we have our own bunks. We, you know, we have all our stuff. Whether we get emergencies during the night that wake us up constantly, that's a different story. But it's not that we have to, st- we're forced to stay up for 24 hours. Got you. Um, we just have to be there and ready to go in case there was an emergency. So you're working out twice a day. Easily, and, yeah. and what What else are you guys doing to mentally cope with the the anxiety of not knowing week to week if you're going home or you know um everyone everyone's a little bit different like everyone kind of processes that different some guys get really reclusive and just kind of like get into their own head Mm -hmm. and just kind of like maybe if they i'd imagine it's kind of that mentality is kind of maybe something that people in prison might feel where they just kind of like check out until it's time to check back in. You're kind of numb. You yeah, exactly. Go, right. Um, you know, just taking that repetitive, like, you know, you're going to leave. No, you're not. You're going to leave. No, you're not. Um, it's, um, but most of the time, I think it just really pulled us all together. Like, we all were, like, mutually suffering together. We all didn't know what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were, we were at a fairly busy base, um, and, you know, we stayed really busy, so we worked really hard. It ended up that four months ended up turning into nine months. Wow. And, you know, and that's what I've heard. Um, you know, suicide rates actually drop when there is a, a collective sense that we are in this together. Like 9-11, around 9-11, um, the rates went down because there was a shared sense of we have been attacked and so we need to come together and figure this out versus I've been attacked, you know, um, and, and so that makes sense that, you know, it brought you guys even closer together because it was a shared sense of, uh, we're in this together and, um, uh, you know, so we got to fight through this together. Absolutely. Yeah. It, I probably made some of the best friends I've ever made in my life in, on that. Even if we don't stay in contact all the time, it's like one of those things that, you know, that if, if they ever reached out, you're like, yeah, in a heartbeat, I'll, you know, I'll be there. We all, you know, it was, it, it was more of a mental thing. I think it was just that, you know, not knowing, always having to break it to the people that care about you, whether that be your parents or, or a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it was, you know, that they, you had to keep breaking their heart like every week, you know, like that. And that, I think that's what, and like I said, some guys, you know, definitely handled it better than others. I think I handled it better than others. Um, partly because I, felt like I had to be stronger for them. Mm. Um, and partly because, like I said, I did have so, someone supportive home that I, you know, that I, you know, could lean on. 
Yeah. How so? When you say supportive home, how how are they supportive? And I know you talked about your girlfriend um, being really flexible and understanding. And were there other ways that well, home it, felt supportive for you? Um, well, it was pretty for me. It was just her. Um, okay. You know, like I had a lot of my friends with me, so the people that I hung out with when I was at home um, were with me for the most part. Um, not not everyone, but you know, I'd say most. So, so some of your friends went into the military together. Is no, you saying no. You um, we you deploy as a base. Got you. So the people from my fire department, we all deployed together, mm-hmm. and so in the fire department, and I. I we all hung out with each other even when we weren't at work. Gotcha. Like it was just kind of weird. It was like a yeah, brotherhood. Brotherhood for sure. Exactly. So, you know, we all lived together. You know, we, when people deployed, we took care of each other's houses and pets and, wow. you know, like whatever it was, like you knew, like, oh, I need these bills paid. And you're like, someone's paying those bills for you while you're gone. Wow. Because um, that was always one of the, you know, big things is, you know, oh, you know, like, are my bills going to be paid fin- on time? Finances. You know, like, exactly. Um, exactly. This was really before. We had email, but it was really before the internet was like this right, giant we had thing. Like automatic pay yeah, and everything. Two thousand one, yeah, you know, yeah. like it was pretty rudimentary. If like I don't think kids these days would, they'd be like, "What is this?" Right, get a bill in the mail. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I can't. I don't get any bills in the mail now. <laughs> everything is is just electronically paid for. Do you, you know? So two things I want to unpack is being twenty four on, twenty four off, right? I can't imagine, um, and and you did that for about nine months, right? Where there's well, this... and that's the way the fire department works back home as well. Oh, back home, okay. Except for every other week, you'd get one day off, so it would give you three days off in a row. So how are you? How do you? How, how do you sleep then? How are you sleeping now? That's that's a great <laughs> question because that's actually that deployment was the start of a lot of um, sleep issues for me. Okay. Um, I stopped sleeping at night pretty much, and I have two theories. It's either um, something psychological, um, obviously just like something maybe from trying to cope with everyone else's issues and my own could have caused some of that, Um, or it could have been at the time we were taking like this weird malaria medication that was pretty much banned for anyone else except for the military to use um, because of the health hazards. Um, so it definitely could have been that the reason why I say that, and I I definitely want to say that on here. So if someone's out there and they hear this, that we used to call it malaria Monday. And Mm -hmm. so because of where we were, there was mosquitoes and there's a chance that you could get malaria. So we had to take a pill. Um, normally a lot of places they'll take a pill every day. It's a low dose, you know, like it's a different kind of mechanism that it works. Um, the one we took was this giant pill and we took it only once a week. And it was on Mondays, the whole base. We called it Malaria Monday. That's the day you take that pill. You better take that pill. Right. Um, and that night, I would have the most vivid, lucid dreams I've ever had. Like, the dreams you would have on that medication were insane. Like, you, it's unlike, it's, it was realer than the real world. Like, how if it was a bad dream, it was terrifying. Like, and it stuck with you. Like and you woke up in sweats and looking looking around the room, like and sometimes you couldn't there. wake up. Wow! Like like you were just in it. Like yeah. you, it was just like this is my life now, kind of thing. And uh, so we would do that on Mondays, but then on every other day, I could fall. Like I've never had a problem falling asleep. Mm-hmm. I would just wake up like ten minutes later, fifteen minutes later, and constantly throughout wow. the night. And so I went to the doctor there 
And they're just like, cool, here, have some Ambien. Like, this will help. And he's like, just take half a pill, five milligrams, that, you know, and that will get you through the night. And it worked. It was great. I'd take one, you know, half a pill every night. Um, I'd sleep for about a month. And then I start waking up about four hours into my sleep. And so then for two a, hours. So a month you, you were sleeping, it was working for a month, and then after a month it stopped working. Exactly. It just it started, it started creeping back, I guess, as my tolerance to the Ambien wow. like, went up. And so I'd had to up the dose. And so over the next two years, I was, on, I was taking 20 milligrams of Ambien a night to just sleep. Like, and the doctor, the doctor is like, I can't keep writing this for you. Like, I, it's not something that's healthy. You shouldn't be doing this. Like, I just can't do it anymore, like, ethically. And so he cut me off of that, which is, you know, which I went right back to the waking up just constantly throughout the night. Like, I never felt rested. Like, I have bags under my eyes now. This has been my life since, like, 21 years old. Wow. And how old are you now? I'm 40. 40, okay. So um, I've gone through 13 sleep studies where they look at me at, like when they watch you overnight and they hook up all the electrodes and they have a camera on you the whole time. And they're like, well, you know, they definitely were like, well, you have a little bit of, you know, sleep apnea, you know, like that. We can see that, but it doesn't explain like all this other, like why you wake up so often. And I never get into really phase four, phase three or phase four sleep, right. which is like that dreaming kind of restful the sleep. Deep room. Yeah, exactly. And they're just like, they're like, you're waking up 60, 70 times a night. Like, we don't know why. And are your other buddies, because, you, you know, you said you were, you were in charge of five other guys. Have you checked in with them to see if they're experiencing the same thing? Or is it is it something that's common across people who work in special ops? Or It's common. In, uh, it's very common, I think, in, in people that work in the fire department. I think it's that when you go to bed at night and you have to be ready to wake up at a moment's notice as soon as that alarm goes off, and you have to go from, like, zero to 100 instantly, like, be alert, Get like go put your gear on, get in a truck, drive really quickly toward an emergency in the middle of the nighttime. Like your brain has to snap on, like you know. And I think if you do that long enough, it definitely has to take its toll on you. Absolutely. Because now, if I hear like if I'm sleeping, if I hear just a creak, I'm just like I'm I'm up. I'm like what is that? Like so it's and I know that, that talking to my other friends that are in the fire department. They're the same way. They don't sleep well at night. So, and you there's know. not a program or uh, some type of treatment that they that they uh, um, get you guys involved in to kind of prep you for that. Or even once you've been discharged, is there? There's no like, hey, here, you know, we noticed the guys are struggling with this. Here uh, is a program or something that you guys can, no, that well, can help you, or, or just even therapy, or you know, anything. So. When I got out of the military, when I got out of active duty, um, I, you know, filed my claim for, for any injuries that I received while I was in the military so I can get um, any disability that was owed to me. Um, and, you know, they make you see doctors and, you know, like I got a psychiatrist and I got a counselor, mm-hmm. um, you know, one to write the meds and one to, to talk right, to me. Um, and I got a pulmonary doctor which basically he does the sleep stuff um you know like he's the one that orders the sleep studies and interprets them and you know tries to give me medication or give me a CPAP or whatever it is that they think that I need um I've had very bad experience in the military with VA doctors 
um, like I don't. I think they're just seeing too many patients or something where they just don't seem really invested. Mm. I don't know if it's they're just burning through them or or something else. I you know I don't want to I don't want to try to assume any of their positions for them. Um, but, you know that's a great point. Not to cut you off. It's you know I, I talk about going to to get therapy and talking to someone, and you know a lot of people are like, well, how do I pick one? Really, it's about a feel. There's isn't it's not always like. This is this this person is the best person to go see. It's you also have to feel comfortable with that person. That that person uh, understands you. Somebody could be uh, a top psychologist or therapist, but uh, if you don't feel connected to that person, or feel like that person, um, uh, it, it, you know, is the is someone you want to keep seeing and, and open up to, then find somebody that you're comfortable. With. That's that's the number one thing, and uh, and then that that'll grow from there. So yeah, you didn't feel comfortable with them, and you felt like they had too, you know, too many on a caseload. So you felt like they were just running you through, like asking you the same five questions, and then like wanting to give you pills and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I think they were trying to hit a check, like hit a checkbox. Right. You know, like obviously every time you go and see a therapist or anything like that, there's certain questions I think legally they have to ask you. Absolutely. Um, have you tried to hurt yourself or anyone else? Kind of thing. You know, like those important things i definitely understand that but there's always these you know 30 questions that they want to like rattle off and then once you answer those then they'll ask how's the medication working do you feel anything do you want us to adjust it or we think we should adjust it um but and i've heard that oh go ahead go ahead um no i was just going to say that it was never like i don't think i um they they were really listening to like how I was saying I was feeling like as far as what the medication was doing. Okay. Um, I think they weren't so concerned with necessarily if I was feeling well. They were just wanting you know like other symptoms to go away, kind of like because it, it swings. It's like a pendulum. If you know like this thing is going to affect you in a different way, it might fix something, but it could you know damage something else. Absolutely, absolutely. When um. And are you taking meds now? I currently am not. Um, I did for about eight years. Okay. And when you said you were taking it for eight years, what meds? Uh, well, let's talk about what necessarily made you want to start taking meds. Was it like what were you experiencing? Was it depression, anxiety, um, and then uh, what made you stop taking meds? So, um, yeah, it was. What um, were you diagnosed with? Um, severe depressive disorder. Okay. Um, so basically that just means it's severe depression that can come back at any moment. So whether you're, you know, doing the best you've ever done in your life, it, the next day it could be right back again kind of thing. Right. right. Um, and then also anxiety, um, basically, you know, just this, you know, sometimes when, obviously I think most people would say when they have anxiety, it just feels like things get a little out of control for them. Um, either it's too much input or you're just in an uncomfortable situation and it just, it becomes very overwhelming. Yes. Yeah. I, I definitely experienced that, you know, cause, uh, and, and introverts experience it a lot, um, where they are, we become overstimulated noise, sights, sounds, smells, things like that. I can't take any strong anything. Uh, I feel uh, overwhelmed, not for a long period of time, like, uh, crowded places. I can handle it for like two hours. And I would imagine for you, you know, the things that you've seen, you know, um, and, and so like there are more triggers for you 
now and and things that you can't what are there what are the the things that like is it loud noises crowded spaces are there things that you avoid or are uncomfortable with um noise doesn't bother me too much i i don't think i i can handle noise fairly well unless it's a like people talking Okay. Um, I th- I think where it's just like you can hear like forty conversations at oh, once. It becomes, it, yeah. yeah, like in those groups, I, I can't. It's so hard. Exactly, yeah. and then yeah. uh, definitely crowded. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a control thing. I think it's you know once I can't, like I don't feel like I know what's going on. Yeah. Around me, you know, like you. I only have a certain field of view, and I can only kind of keep track of so many things at one time. I think that kind of becomes a little overwhelming as well. Um, again, like I think, I think it's a, a control. Absolutely. Issue. You know, even after shows, you know, people want to come up and take pictures and shake my hand and stuff like that. And sometimes it's like three or four different people at one time, you know, and they start touching you to get your attention. And at first it used to just like, I'd be in my head like going nuts. And, but, um, I've been, you know, there's a guy, uh, Brian Callen, amazing comedian. I was on the road with him and I'd watch how he handled it and, and he just talks to the person he's talking to until he's done. And he's locked in. He's looking in their eyes. And there's no one else around. People are touching him. And he's like, I'm talking to someone. Because, you know, in your head, you also got to realize, like, it's rude. If I'm talking to someone, for you to come up and touch me and think I'm going to, like, give exactly. you the attention. So, and I was uncomfortable. Like, I was, I think it was part of me, like, being a people pleaser. of Like, I, wanted, I want everybody to, you know, oh, yeah, hi, hello, hello. But now I'm like, no, it's it's rude. I'm talking to someone. You see me talking to someone. If you really want to talk, you know, you'll wait till I'm done, or you'll you'll leave either or. Um, and then that's kind of made me feel a bit more uh, centered. And uh, even like in public situations where like if it's a party or something like that, like, oh, I don't have to be. I don't have to like be engaged in ten, twenty different conversations. This one conversation is what matters. It's hard emotionally, it but it's I just have to keep. It, <laughs> and I think at first too, it's it's really tiring. I call it extreme focus. Oh, like okay. I just like get extremely focused on what. Like if I'm trying to get work done, and I'm in a library and yeah. it's loud, and there's a lot of you know, like when I was going to school, like I could just zone right into the one thing I'm doing, get that tunnel vision, and I do that with people as well. I have to talk to a lot of people at my my job. Yes, and like the best way for me to handle that is because there's always a lot of people around. It's yeah. just to really zero in, just like uh, I noticed. <laughs> I, you know, I, I read somewhere if you when you're talking to someone, notice their eye color. And that makes, I was like, that's true. I've never, when I talk to people, I don't notice. Unless like they, this is like a black chick with blue eyes. Yeah, you know so what I'm saying? Weird yeah. contrast that you're just, I haven't seen that every day kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, those those ways are really focusing in and, and locking in. So you you were taking meds uh, because you, you had depressive symptoms and, um, and anxiety. So what were they giving you? So um, it was a combination and it bounced back and forth. I, I probably have a list of about 13 different medications that I took total. Um, the one I took most was probably Wellbutrin. Yes. And then um, one that totally really messed me up. And it's, it's important that you listen to your body and kind of the way you feel was transidone. Like, I know that works for some people, but for me, it made me feel like I was swimming underwater. What does that mean, swimming underwater? Like, I, wo- I woke up, every day I woke up after taking that, because I was supposed to take it before I went to bed. Like it, I had to sit on the edge of my bed because I felt like I was just floating. Like I had to like reorient myself in the world kind of like, you know, like it's just like very, 
it's not like alcohol, um, kind of a disorientation, but it, it was just, I'd imagine what it, it, it'd feel like if you were just floating in space mm. kind of thing, where you're, you're right. just like, have don't you done feel a flotation like you, tank before? I want to. I really want to. It's just uh, it's all the way across town, and I'm, I, I really don't like driving that much. So. Gotcha. Now, why don't you like driving? Is that something from before? Or? Uh, no, I I think it's just because I, I hate assholes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like people are so selfish, and when they get in their cars, they do things that they would never normally do. Like it drives me insane. Like I'm constantly just being like, really, you know? Like I think all of us drive around with one hand pointed out in front of us, going, yes. really, like, this this guy's doing yeah, this. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, and I, I told my daughter, I was like, if you ever get rich and famous or anything, I was like, the only thing I want is either a self-driving car or a chauffeur. Like, I just don't want to have to drive anymore. That's, I don't care about the house. I don't care about anything else. Just make it so daddy doesn't have to drive anymore. I know. I started taking helicopter lessons for that reason. Like, I'm like, I just want to fly above all of this. Yes. <laughs> Seems like those are always people that escape natural disasters. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the guys in the helicopter, for sure. <laughs> The all right, so you were taking Wellbutrin, you're taking Transidone, and it, it has you feeling like you're 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 floating and um, you're underwater basically. The and how long were you taking those for? Was it eight years? You said yeah. So it was, they would switch it up, and I, I took a few other ones in there that I don't. Okay, medication names are difficult to right, remember. Absolutely, um, but I think Wellbutrin worked the best for me. I think it was the one that I was on the most. Okay, um, it definitely reached a point where I became very cognizant of how I didn't feel like myself. It was, you know, like when you, when you're really depressed, you, you know, you don't feel like yourself. You don't know why you feel this way, but you know, you don't feel like yourself. But when I think the depression started wearing off the medication, like prevent, it it almost felt like I was viewing my own life happen. Like I was just a spectator to everything. So, like, you didn't have any, like, a feeling toward anything. You're just, like, very disconnected, I would so, say. So you, were, you went from feeling depressed and um, depressed to the point uh, where you were con- contemplating suicide? Was, I absolutely that- was on a daily basis for, for years. And w- w- can you talk us through that? Like, what the thought was, what the feeling was, how were you? So when I got out of the military, when I got out a lot of things changed. Okay. Um, you know, like I wasn't, I didn't live with my friends anymore. I was, I just had gone through a divorce, the, the, to my daughter's mother. Like we just got divorced. Um, and it was losing your friends, like losing that, like all the time, like being a single dad, like where, you know, all my time was spent with my daughter. It, was a very stark contrast to just two years prior when I was single, you know, with a lot of disposable income Mm -hmm. with built in drinking buddies. Cause I worked with them nonstop, you know, like we, you know, like that's all we did was we went out and partied and, you know, we had a good time and I don't regret any of that, that I feel like that was very important for what came next because, you know, while I missed it and I missed it a lot and I missed my friends a lot. And I, you know, like I felt really alone, like, at first, all your friends will keep calling, like, oh, hey, we're getting ready to do this. You should come on over. And I was like, ah, I can't, you know, like, I, you know, I work or I, you know, have my daughter. And uh, eventually those calls stop. They, wow. they get further and further apart. But, yeah. you know, it's understandable. Being able to look back at it, it's understandable. But once you're, when you're immersed in that moment, when these, all these pillars of your life 
even if they're, you know, negative, like drinking, like going out and drinking, when those start falling away fairly quickly, like you're, you really start contemplating your life decisions at that point. Like, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Like, where am I at? You know, like, and, you know, at work, you know, changing to a civilian job. I worked in management in some of the casinos out here. Um, and honestly, just going from everyone is important to everyone is the number and we can just fill that position later. Like that, that was, that was tough. Like, you're like, Oh, you guys don't care about all of these people that are here, you know, that are trying to live their life, you know? And, and it, I had a really hard time with that. Like, you, yeah. Cause you went from saving people, saving lives, saving the country to now these people that you laid your life on the line for that you, you know, woke up in the middle of the night are now just numbers. Yes. Right. It's well, the, the people currently that I work with right, are just numbers, right, right, and right. I didn't see them that way. Right, like right, because right. I I applied my values, like what I learned from in the military, where like oh if we work together, then we're here for each other. Like this is you know like for this to actually work, we have to care about each other. Each other, absolutely. You know, like, and that is not, I think, um, a value that a lot of corporations have. Well, whether it's by choice or by just sheer size. Um, you know, obviously the military is large, but you know, you, those units get broken down pretty small. Right. Um, right. if you go far enough down there, um, like you said, you're in charge of five guys. So that's, I mean, wow, that's a family, right? That's a unit. And so you went from having this brotherhood, this family to now being a single dad, right? Going through a divorce. Now, do you mind if I ask, why did you guys divorce? Um, we're very different people. Um, she different values. It's like I could get into like a million stories of how that went down. Um, I can give you the cliff notes. Um, I had lost someone while the last time I was deployed in Iraq, um, someone back home um, who was in a car accident drinking and driving. They weren't driving, but the other person was, and they were both drunk, and they weren't wearing seatbelts, and they both ended up dying for it. And uh, it was someone I was very close to. And so, like, I was dealing with that that the last time I was deployed in Iraq, and um, my daughter's mother we went to we went to high school together, and she just we just so happened to find each other on Facebook while I was in Iraq, um, and so we just wrote each other. And then you know I came home, I went back because she still lives in the town that I lived in when I joined the military. So it was nice to kind of get back there, and you know one thing led to another. She ended up getting pregnant. I don't regret that at all. I love my daughter. Like it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It was definitely a an unexpected event, but you know definitely one that I I'm. Glad that happened. Even How old is she now? My daughter's 12. Okay. You know, even though, you know, like I, I would definitely say at the time when I was very depressed when, you know, like I was, you know, she was like, you know, one, two, three years old. Like there was a lot of resentment toward her from me. Um, nothing that ever like I never showed her, yeah. but just in my thoughts, my mind, like if, you know, like if. I didn't have her. I would, you know, like I wouldn't feel this way, which I, I know definitely isn't true now. Right. But, you know, you just get because you're trying to rationalize what's happening. Like, why? Like, why is this happening? There has to be an answer, right? There has to be one point where if I figure that out, I can fix it. Like I can feel the way I used to feel. And, you know, so, you know, you just go through those things. And, you know, like so I, I did, you know, like when I had to turn down friends, like, oh, we're going to this concert and, you know, like I'm here 
changing a diaper, you know, like, you know, like I'm 28 years old, you know, by myself trying to figure it out. You know, my dating life was zero because I couldn't afford a lot. And, you know, I had a one bedroom apartment and I had a crib in my bedroom. And so you're not inviting a lot of ladies back to that. (laughs) So, you know, like it's just, you know, that's what started it. And I think just the further I grew apart from my friends, just from not being able to hang out, and then they leave or they, you know, their lives change and, you know, everyone's, you know, life kind of progresses. Right. They start their families and exactly. Right, right. And, you know, their kids are a lot younger than mine. And then, so it's like, yeah, we can hang out, but it's not quite the same, you know, cause my daughter's like, I'm bored. You know, like, right. um, but you know, I'm still close with a lot of the, the, the people, but there was a, a, like I said, about an eight year period when I got out that I, I either, on purpose, I isolated myself or just through circumstance. You know, I worked a lot when I was working in management. I was working at least a minimum of 10 hours a day, more wow. like 12, you know, and sometimes I'd have to work six days a week, you know. So it that work that I was doing then really, it didn't give me any time to decompress. It didn't give me any time to even try to manage what I was feeling, let alone figure it out. Cause I had no idea what was going on, right. you know, and, and all I would get from the doctors is just more medication. Like, Oh, you're still not feeling good here. We're going to up the dose. Um, and, but you're, but you said you're also going to, uh, therapy too, right? Yes. And so what were the thing like, what were some of the things that your therapist gave you? Because you said you 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 know you had the suicide ideations for years, you were thinking about it, and on a daily basis. Yes. So, one, what kept you going every day, and then two, what were some of the the things that your therapist was giving you that um, kept you going? I would say the main thing that the therapist gave me that kept me going was just someone to talk to. Um, although, like if given the option to talk to a therapist within the VA versus outside the VA, and I think they do give that option to some people, um, I would say choose outside the VA because I definitely felt like there could be consequences if I said something gotcha. um, where the government would take an, take an action that, you know, like, I don't know if that's just my mind from being in the military, knowing that I really, you know, gave up all my rights, you know, and whether if they can do that as well. No, I've um, heard that from a, a Uber driver. He said that, if you go to somebody within the VA, that they have levels of PTSD they mark you as. I think there's like levels one, two, and three. And he said that um, like one is low-grade PTSD, you're fine. He goes, but if you're marked as a two or three, um, then you're not able to work with uh, people in public. So like uh, like you wouldn't like if you were like if you were a PTSD level three you would not be able to be an Uber driver so you wouldn't you can't have jobs that where you're uh, responsible for other people's lives wow so Uber driving uh, teaching things like that and I don't know if they necessarily tell you that when you go in I, I would imagine they probably don't no I feel like that and, would be a little yeah. triggering for some people Absolutely. if you told them that yeah and and then so I you know when people say. Well, why don't they just go get help? Why don't you just go get help? You know, um, because there are a lot of, you know, there are consequences depending on the line of work you're in. Uh, I remember uh, I was talking to another military guy and uh, he was like, yeah, I, I, I couldn't see anybody within, um, uh, the, uh, the, you know, any uh, the therapist within the VA because 
if I said certain things, then that would prevent me from uh, or prevent him from getting promotions. So, you know, the, yes, there are free services available, but there could be consequences. And I think a lot of people are afraid of that. Um, and so if you can talk to someone outside, but that's also the value of the 800 number. Exactly. The 800 yes. number, they're not asking you for your Social Security. They're not asking you for your birth date or anything like that. Um, they may just ask you, like, what city you live in, just in case they feel like um, you need some type of emergency services. But outside of that, there's nothing that you can say to them that's going to go on a record that would affect, at least as of right now, you know, the, the, the way things are becoming connected more at some point. Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. I feel like Facebook is in everything. Exactly. But um but right now, like that's a that's a great anonymous tool to use. Uh, but I didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted to throw in that no, I just wanted to no. validate what you were saying in terms of you know, you're right. Like that if there you know, you want to talk to someone that you feel that you can freely talk to and share everything with without um, there being additional consequences. Yeah, and I absolutely don't also want to say that that is exactly what's happening um, or could happen. That was my personal feeling. Right. Um, so, yeah, definitely your results may vary type situation. Um, that was just how I felt, that I felt like if I said the wrong thing, it could have other repercussions in my life. Um, but it definitely helped. Um, I, I think I probably didn't take advantage of it as much as I should have. Um, being free, it's all the way across town. You know, it's a hassle. That's going to be an hour out of my day of just driving. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those, like, if I'm already working 10, 11, 12 hours a day. And you hate driving. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just like... <laughs> um, but it, it definitely helped. And, you know, I, I I wanted to try to do everything I could because, like, I, you know, I didn't want to just, like, quit. Like, I, I wanted to be like, if, if there's any chance of something that's going to help me yes. feel the way I used to feel, then yes. I want to do that. Like, yes. whatever it is, I, don't, I did not care. Um, and I told him that. I was like, any kind of therapy, like, experimental, I was like, you name it, look, whatever it is, like, I'd rather, like, face some temporary uncomfortable, like, being uncomfortable mm -hmm. um, to for some, like, long-term, like, Health release, like Absolutely. yeah. Um, have, so, have you tried other modalities like hypnosis or EMDR? Or um, so they actually gave me a little um, it, this weird machine that um, you attach to your earlobes, and it will send like electric pulses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at different wavelengths, like alpha waves and beta waves, and, and things like that. Um, so I did that for a while. I don't know if it helped, honestly. I was taking medication at the same time, too. So I, I think, you know, just when you layer things on top of each other, you're never going to really know how well um, right. it you works individually. Right. Absolutely. Um, or if they cancel each other out. Like, they could work individually, but, you know, maybe somehow they're you know, crossing wires or something like that. Um, so I tried that. Um, like I said, I, I went through several sleep studies to try to figure out why I wasn't sleeping because I definitely believe that, the lack of sleep is what definitely exacerbates my depression. Absolutely. Um, you know, not getting that restful sleep, getting, you know, like where you dream and, you know, get that kind of decompression from your day. Like, I think that is definitely the main thing. It's something I value more than anything else. Like it, like I have a TV in my room that I only watch once a year mm. when I wrap Christmas presents. Yeah, it's <laughs> and like it never turns on in my room because I don't I don't do anything else in, in my bed. Like my bed is for sleeping. Like right. it's very singular because 
you know, like they had me keep sleep journals and, you know, change my diet and take melatonin and do all these things and test. None of that worked? It, none of it worked, like, at all. And what, you know, because you also hike, and I think uh, this is what we really bonded on, because I actually went back uh, yesterday to uh, Red Rocks and got lost again. Good. Uh, that's <laughs> I, No, that's the best type of hiking is when you get lost. I, I guarantee know, I, it. I, I got lost. Not only did I get lost, I ran out of water. And it, this was like a, 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 it was supposed to be a six mile hike that ended up being a 10 mile hike. Oh. Yeah. And uh, so I ran out of water. So I had to eat snow. <laughs> <laughs> I had to eat snow. And I'll put this on my Instagram. Um, I had to eat snow and then I found my way back. But, um, but, I, but the reason why I love to go hiking is one, uh, it, there's no reception. There's no cell phone reception because otherwise I'm always looking at my screen or a screen or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't watch TV a lot, but uh, I'm always on my cell phone. And it's a way to get me off my cell phone. Uh, the other reason why I love to hike is um, it makes it helps me sleep like a baby. Um, I realize, like, even though I'm 42, I'm about to turn 43, I'm still like a nine-year-old. And so I have to wear myself out through the day. And if I don't do that, I won't be able to sleep at night. So... Um, I'm just now realizing that I require, it's mandatory for me to not only physically challenge myself daily, whether it's like getting 10,000 steps in or hiking or hot yoga, but also to mentally challenge myself. I have to, you know, because I think a lot of people think like, oh, if I just sit and watch TV, that's relaxing. Like I realize watching TV is not relaxing for me. It doesn't relax me at all. It's nothing but tension and commercials and I'm trying to sell you more drugs. And so I have to I have to get out in the world and, and do things and, uh, you know, challenge my brothers, crossword puzzles or, um, you know, engaging in conversations and doing a podcast. Like I have to engage my mind and body and then. When I lay down, I'm out. If I have a day where I don't work out and I've just kind of been lazy, I can't sleep at all. And so I guess my question for you is, on those days, because, like, you hike, like, what? What's your, what do you like to do? Like, six miles, eight miles, usually? Yeah, so if it's just me, I, I try to stay above eight. Okay. So between eight and 20 for a good oh, hike. Jesus. So even on those days when you go to bed at night, are you, are you still struggling with the sleep? That doesn't so knock you out? It. it I like I said earlier, like I definitely can fall asleep. Like that's never been an issue for me. Just, I can fall asleep. Oh, getting into the um, yeah, and I, and I can stay asleep. I can be in bed for ten hours. I can be in bed for six. Like I'm going to wake up usually feeling about the same way. Um, like it, I definitely have good nights where I wake up and I'm, you know, like I, I feel better. Um, and usually, you know, the healthier I am, the more of those I have. Um, but it's not like directly proportional, unfortunately. Wow, right. Um, but yeah, what what really got me out of depression, which leads directly into hiking, um, is you know like being being broke, being a single dad. Like I had to come up with things to do um, that were cheap, you know, like that I you know could mix up that I could get out and take my daughter to places that didn't cost me, you know, forty dollars, fifty, sixty dollars to go have a good time, yeah. you know. Um, so I started taking her hiking. Like I've been hiking with her since she was you know, three years old, like I'd bring her out to Red Rock and we would just kind of walk around and she'd play on the really big boulders and stuff and she'd love it. Wow. Um, but it like got me out of the house too, but it was also cheap. Like I could, I could yeah. do it. It wasn't, yeah. I didn't have to like stress about like, 
you know, oh, to go to the movies, it's another 30 bucks, you know, if we get some snacks, you know. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Going to the movies <laughs> is so expensive now. It's ridiculous. It's it's crazy. Um, and, yeah, because all you need is that National Park card, right? Exactly. Which I bought, which I think it was, was like 40 bucks or 50 bucks, And you could go to any national park in the country for free. Which I love. I feel I just talk about feeling superior. Like I see people paying cash, and I just flash my card and like go go ahead, Mister Flowers. Well, a little PSA for um, veterans that are disabled. If you have your disability rating from the VA, if you bring that to a national park, they will give you a lifetime pass to get into every national park for free. Wow! Plus, you get discounts on your if you reserve a campground or anything like that. That is something I didn't know about at first, and I, I found about, out about. So that's huge. It's um. It's it's probably one of our best resources, and it's going to be the most affordable resource that you have is nature. Um, you can always go out and get outdoors, um, and it, it changes a lot just kind of getting out of the confines of walls and, like, you know, getting off the couch I know is really hard. Like, it was the thing I struggled with the most. So whatever it is that you find that can get you out there, um, I would say do that. Like, uh, if if, you know, you're struggling because you've lost people, I assign people to days. I'm like, oh, if I'm going to have a hard time getting out of bed, then this day is for Billy. And if I don't get out of bed today, I'm doing him a disservice. You know, like I, 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 I you know, like whatever it takes to get you to that point, you know, like it, it's get you out and get you just walking around. I think that no matter if you're a veteran or if you're just kind of suffering from depression, I think a lot of it is a lack of um, physical activity and being outdoors. Um, it's been huge for me. I love that concept. I assign people days. Yeah, is, I, is that something that you came up with, or somebody something that? No, it was something that I, I thought up because I was like, you know, so if you're in the military, or even if you're just a caring individual, you you put a lot of value in other people, and you always want to do right by them. Um, so by assigning days to whether it's a best friend that is still with me, or maybe someone I know that maybe didn't come home. And I just say, hey, this is for them. So I'm not only doing me a disservice, I'm, you know, like I'm dedicating me getting out and making myself well as a, as a thing that I'm doing for them, you know, like because I know that that's probably what they'd want from me. Right. You know, and I've, I've heard, you know, the research shows that when we, you know, are in our, are in our low of lows and, uh, you know, really depressed and feeling down, um, that because when we're when we are there, we're just thinking about ourselves for the yeah. most part, and so it is by thinking about other people. Um, and and I even do this like sometimes like there's this guy who lives in my building, and um, he has like it's not polio, but it, it's, it's something to that effect. And there when I when there are days where like I don't want to you know go for a walk or do stuff, I just want to lay in bed. I think I go, man, that guy is still out there walking, struggling across the street. When I see old people who, like, have the hunchback yeah. and, like, to the point where they can only look down at the yeah, ground. it's crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, that person still put clothes on. Absolutely. And, like, is shopping and, and you know, running errands and stuff like that. Um, it gets me out of bed. It gets me out of bed to think about other people and um, and and to realize that, we're all connected. When I went hiking up in Red Rocks, the, the thing that I love is, you know, there's this concept that it's lonely at the top. And I think that lie and that myth prevents people from achieving bigger things in life. 
And when I got to the top of Red Rocks, you know, four miles, uh, you know, four miles in, four or five miles in, um, I realized even though I was the only one up there, I didn't feel lonely. I felt connected. I felt connected to something bigger than me. Uh, the trees, the birds, you see rabbits, the snow. The, there's so much life at the top. And there's a different perspective that you get that you don't get. Uh, you know, I feel the least connected when I'm starting, when there's, you know, around where the cars are parked and other people, is, you know, it's crowded at the bottom. Exactly, you know, yeah. People having their weird conversations and uh, people hiking and like you're like I can't believe you're hiking in UGG boots and like you're exactly. just I'm just mad. Yeah. You get to the top, there's this freedom and this breath and you know you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, and right? only the people that are committed really make it. So yeah. like all, <laughs> all the fakers kind of drop off. Yeah, um, it's just like your footprints at the top. Exactly. Yeah, and you've earned it. Like you you can sit down and you're like you have achieved something. You set a goal for yourself and you went out and achieved it. Like that's the biggest thing for me. Like I know mm-hmm. if I go, I'm gonna go climb Mount Charleston today. Yeah. You know I, I'm gonna set that goal and then I'm gonna accomplish that goal and I'll know I accomplished it because I stand on the top and I know it. Yes. And and I think that's an important thing that it's it's we need I feel like I need to be working towards something. Um whether it's a, a new position in, for a career or if it's you know anything like I I've learned that the harder I work, mm-hmm. the happier I am. The yes. less I do things, yes. the less happy I am. And it's and and I discovered that through hiking. Like I n- never had to think about it when I was in the military because we just always worked hard. Like you're just always working hard. There was never an option to not work hard. Um, but I find that in civilian life, it's definitely um, it's definitely easier to to find a job where you can kind of coast. Like right, and not just working, but w- feeling like you're working on something that has a purpose. Yeah, something working. meaningful. Absolutely, that feeds you, and in, in, instead of something that is taking something away from you. Um, the where where is my brain at? The um, oh man, I forgot where I, where I was going. I had, I had something I wanted to talk tie into the hiking, but you have a twelve year old daughter. Yes, you guys sound like you're very close. You go hiking together. That sounds amazing to me. We do, yeah. Um, it's probably the best time I've ever spent with her. We, you know, we've taken vacations and you know gone to Disneyland and we, you know, we've done those things. We go to a lot of national parks, of course, like because right. they're just gorgeous like um but uh yeah our time hiking is our time it's there's no there's no tv there's no video games there's no other people yeah you know she's an animal too she hikes you know she can hike knock out six eight mile hikes with me um and she likes it and you know like i she's definitely had said things to where you know like she's like oh i learned so much from you you know like or you know i you know you you always take the time to teach me things. She says that to Yeah, you. because wow. unfortunately, everyone's had people in their life that are just like, can you just stop asking questions? And mm-hmm. like, I've, you know, like, because they get tired. Like, I get it. Like, you know, having a young kid, they're going to ask you a million questions. I, and I, I told my daughter at a very young age, I was like, I'm never going to tell you to stop asking questions. I was like, I want you to ask, question everything. Question everything that's in front of you to figure out why it is the way it is. Um, but there will be moments where I say, I can't answer that question right now, you know, cause we all have bad days and we all, our nerves get a little frazzled, Absolutely. but you have to let, like, I let her know beforehand. I was like, there, there will be times where I just like, I'm not going to answer that right now. Mm-hmm. Just know that it's not because I don't want to answer the question. It's just that I'm, you I'm know, not in a space it, to give you the answer. Exactly. That, 
I'm feeling frustration. Absolutely. Um, so I really try to, you know, something that I've worked on a lot over the last few years um, is just kind of expressing my emotions and my feelings. And I, a lot of the reason why I really focused on it was for her, mm. because I want her to have words for those things that she's feeling. Um, and so the, the way she's going to learn that is she spends more time with me than probably anyone else. Right. Um, but yeah, she just opens up to me. Like we can have really good conversations about school, her friends, you know, um, it's crazy the kind of things that kids have to deal through, you know, deal with on, on a regular basis. Um, and, but she, she's pretty open with me about that. You know, obviously I don't know what I don't know. Right, um, but right. I feel like she, she feels like she can tell me most things. We have a really good, um, kind of relationship. Definitely. I'm still the father and obviously, you know, like I'm the disciplinarian, like I make sure things get done when they need to get, right. get done. But, um, I do it in a way that, a, you know, like she feels like she can still come to me now. Now, so what does that look like? Uh, like, can you give us an example? Because I, because I, I, I know, I definitely know, I have a lot of parents who listen to the podcast, and and they share it with their uh, with other parents. And I appreciate you all for doing that. And uh, disciplining a child today is because there's the iPad and the iPhone, and the there's and, and there's just so many influences. Can you give us an example of an effective uh, disciplinarian technique that you use, or? So it's something I learned just from leadership, just like from the military and then applying it once, you know, like I got out was uh, if you can get people to buy in yes. to something, okay. there's going to be little to no resistance to mm. whatever it is that they're buy- buying into. Um, so I always let my daughter be part of the conversation when I'm thinking about a punishment. You know, I'm not just imposing some arbitrary thing on her and saying, this is the way it is tough. Like I said, okay, this is what happened. This is what you did. You know, we always have that conversation about the reason why we have to, I have to do this now is because these consequences grow as you get older. Like, and so you need to learn this lesson now so you don't make the same mistakes as an adult where you could end up losing a job or, you know, something like that. Oh, right. Because, like, if you steal something as a kid, it's a small consequence. Maybe you got to write sentences or exactly. a day at school. You steal something as an adult, you're going to jail. Yeah, and, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, so, and, and so I, I definitely explained that to her as well. Grow. Exa- wow. Yeah, I was like, every, you know, you know, we talk about how everything has a cost. You know, just basic business. Like, so if you make a decision, there is going to be a cost to whatever that decision is. So, like, if, you know, if you choose to study instead of watch TV, the cost was you couldn't watch TV. Mm-hmm. You know, if you choose to watch TV, the cost would be maybe failing a test. So you really have to look at, like, what am I gaining from this decision and what am I losing? Yes. So we would sit down and talk and be like, okay, so you did, like, we actually just kind of dealt with it where she, it's kind of, she did work for homework but didn't turn it in on time. <laughs> And uh, it just happened the third time. Wow. And I said, okay. Um, you know, and I just said, this is what you did. You didn't turn in three assignments on time. I was like, that can have consequences, and it does have consequences. It affects your grades. It affects everything. I was like, so, you know, and I had let her know prior to, the, like, when, on the second time that there would be consequences coming. Right. Um, so I, I feel like I, I try to be as transparent as can be, but like be very straightforward as well. Like saying, you know, like I am in charge, so I am going to say that, you know, I'm facilitating this conversation right. and making sure it stays on track. And I said, so what do you, do you feel like what you did was wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, like, 
And you feel like I like the word feel too, right? Because sometimes you could do something you don't feel like it was wrong, even though to somebody else it could feel like exactly. And so if they're not, if she's not feeling like it was something wrong, then that's an education moment for me that I need to step in and teach her. I need to show her why what she did was was wrong or has consequences. And so we would just we would talk it out that way. And then I said, okay, so this is what I'm thinking for your punishment. You know, and I did have her write a five-page paper on why it's important to get things done on time. Mm. Um, and, you know, also for a week, she did without all electronics, um, TV, video games, phones. Like, she has a phone. She could use it to make phone calls, and that was it. Like, or text message if her mother or me text her. So, like, very clear. And I said, does that sound fair? And as soon as they say yes, mm. they've bought in. They've agreed that what they do is wrong. Mm. They've agreed that the punishment is fair. Yes. I've never gotten pushback after getting her to say, to agree to both of those things. I love two things that that you said. The the I mean, there's a lot of things in there I love, but going back where you said, "Here's what I'm thinking for your punishment," versus "This is your punishment." Right. I love that because you're telling her like. This isn't fixed. Uh, this is open for discussion. Like you and I are gonna come to this together. It's a collaboration because you want to teach your kid how to think, not just uh, be somebody who gets used to being told what to do. Um, and then I love that. Um, does that sound fair? Wow. Exactly. I think buy-in is so important. And as long, you know, when I I say this is what I'm thinking. I don't want to invalidate her opinion right. and her argument. I want to hear what she thinks about it because mm. I could be wrong. Like, I definitely could be wrong. I, you know, like, I, I have to be open. I read something a long time ago, and I, obviously this is a terrible thing because I can't tell you where or when, but it said that kids feel the same feelings that adults feel. So when a kid's heart breaks, even if they're 12 years old and they get dumped, that heartbreak feels the same as a 25 or 28 year old whose you know fiance left them at the altar right like right. and by invalidating and go you'll be fine don't worry about it don't you know like you you shut them off emotionally like you you the one person that's supposed to be there for them isn't there for them and by invalidating their feelings so you're not feeling that they are feeling that they might be young and they might lack perspective but they are feeling that exact feeling at that exact intensity that you probably felt it at as well. And so that changed the way I thought about how I talk to my daughter completely because I'm forming these thoughts and these patterns in her mind of how things are supposed to work. And if I form those wrong patterns early on, like, it could ruin like a lot of her relationships going forward. And that I think is where most parents do damage. It's not by not having money to take their kids on a fancy vacation, like the kids down the street. It's by not being there for them so they can learn how to be loved. Like I always say that, uh, you know, so kids need both of their parents, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and, and whether it's, you know, a man and a woman or two male, two males, two females, there's always going to be that masculine, feminine kind of energy kind of floating around. And that energy will dictate how they expect to be treated by that energy going forward. So my daughter learns to be loved by a man the way I love her mm-hmm. and the way she sees me loving other people. 
like, and she learns how to be loved by however her mother is being loved. And so, you know, like, it, there, we're both needed, like, how to receive and then how to give. I feel like you, you've read a lot of books on this. I, I haven't. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time on the trail. Like, oh, that's my right. time. That's my where I, I get my zen where I, you know, when you're hitting mile 11 or mile 13 and yeah. your legs are wanting to quit, like, right. just because I hike long distances doesn't mean I don't get tired. Right. Like, and when that starts to come in in your mind, frivolous things fall away. Mm. Like, and your, your focus becomes, like, like, flawless like it's just like you're just get so in a zone where whatever you're thinking about you're putting some deep thought into it um and i had like i touched on earlier i had a very like poor childhood which i think a lot of people can relate to um both my parents were alcoholics you know and like i didn't have like the way i am with my daughter is exactly the opposite way i was like that my mother was my father father wasn't really involved um and my mother had a lot of things that she was dealing with and, you know, she drank a lot. And when she got free time, she would just yell at me. Mm. Like that's where she would, that was her, like her way. So, you know, a lot of people can use that as a crutch. Like, and I think for a while, like I, it kind of would feed into that negativity loop of like, Oh, I can't do this because, because of this. Mm. Like, and I think that is, it's a convenient way to go. Like, but it's harder to push back and say, I'm not going to do this because I know what it does. And that's like, so like I drink, mm-hmm. like, even though I have two alcoholic parents, um, I probably drank too much when I was younger and in the military, which I think drinking is a, a pastime in the military that it's, we don't realize that the habits that it's, it's, it's instilling in us going forward. It's like, just like college, college, yep. man, the binge drinking is, is so much a part of the culture that you feel left out if you don't drink. And and then, like you said, it instills these habits that when she get out, college really instills habits that are horrible for you. The late night eating, yep, exactly. Late night studying, uh, the drinking, the you know poor just time management, poor time, horrible time. And I remember like my first year uh, in college, like where they would have class called like a life skills class where they were trying to teach you. But you're, you're 18, 19, like you're like, I'm not. Yeah. No, this isn't whatever, yeah. you know. It's not until like now you're getting your, your, your 30s, 40s, you're like, oh, that's what they were, that's what they were talking Exactly. About. You're like, oh, okay. All right. You got me. You got me. Fair play. The, so uh, not to backtrack, to go way back, uh, you got off your meds. And the reason I did, why yeah. I want to backtrack to this because it's important. It's so important. We've lost so many people due to the fact that they've just quit their meds cold turkey and they weren't prepared and ready for the physiological effects. And because you, you can you talk to me about that? What that was like? Because you were on Wellbutrin, uh, uh, what was it, Transit, Transitone, uh, tra- Transitone, and some other ones that you don't quite remember. And then what made you decide to quit? Cold, you quit cold turkey, right? Absolutely. And then what was that experience like? And yeah, how did you get through it? It's one that I would not recommend. Um, I think that was my own stubbornness. Okay. Um, my, you know, that I think we, you know, every guy has a little bit in him where he thinks that he's a little bit invincible. Like, yeah. oh, certain rules don't apply to me kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like, I got this. Um, but uh, yeah, I quit cold turkey. I, I felt like I had to. Mm-hmm. I, I, I felt like. 
uh, again, I, I touched on it earlier that it was doing more damage than it was doing good at, at this point. I, I feel like I was just observing my own life, and then like, and it was, it was wreaking habit, havoc in the relationships that I was having. Mm. Um, just because you know I was emotionally disconnected, I didn't have you know like, I didn't have a lot of affection, you know, for anything. Right, because I've heard because it, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, like. Okay, yeah, you were feeling better, but you weren't. But now you weren't feeling exactly. Right? There was no, there was no highs or lows, no happy, no sad, no anger, no, no nothing. So you're just kind of a, a I would imagine, like, like kind of a zombie. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I, I felt like I didn't even feel like a a person, let alone mm-hmm. like myself. Okay. You know, okay. so it was it was just one of those decisions. I said, I'm I'm just gonna stop. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's I I can't keep doing this, and it it was rough. It was rough for about. Two and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, and then it became definitely manageable. But for two and a half weeks, it felt like I had like lightning bolts going off in my head, like just shocks. Just like it's hard to explain. Yeah. But uh, not like the way your hand falls asleep and you get those like pins and yeah, needles. Yeah. Not like that. Not it did like feel that. like that sometimes. Okay. Um, but it really felt like just this like bolt would like go across your brain. Sometimes I've had that happen in like where I felt it in my eye, like it's from our brain, but, and I forget what it was from. I haven't had it happen anytime recently, but I remember there was a moment where I had like a, I I imagine some people have headaches like that where it's like a shooting pain. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so it was just like constant throughout the day. So it's like, just imagine trying to do anything Yeah. where this like, it's like, you just keep getting these like jolts, you know, and they're unpredictable. It wasn't like, Oh, they happen every three seconds kind of thing. It was just like, Anytime it could happen. And that lasted for two weeks. About two, two and a okay. half weeks, yeah. Um, but a very a couple of important things happened around this time as well. And, and I think it's important because they all kind of coin, like coincide with each other and they all are relevant. Um, I had started seeing a civilian doctor um, who had done some blood work on me um, to because I it described what I was going through, sleep problems, depression, you know, anxiety, stuff like that. And he wanted to get some blood work done. And it turns out for my age at the time, um, which I think I was about 35, um, my testosterone was extremely low, um, lower um, than it should have. It was um, right at the borderline of like where like the very minimum it should be. And for being 35, it shouldn't have been anywhere near that. Right. And the research shows that uh, your HGH and, and testosterone are, are uh, develop or replenished when you sleep, but specifically in your deep sleep. So if you're not, for you guys out there taking Viagra, you know, Viagra might not be the solution. You might f- need to figure out how to hack your sleep so that you can produce the testosterone to keep going. And is that what they found where they were like, this is more related to your sleep than anything else? Or um, well, unfortunately, because it was a civilian doctor and I have to pay deductibles and everything, I usually try, I don't tread too much further into the real gotcha. like, gotcha. Um, but it made a huge difference. It didn't like kick in overnight or anything. So if anyone out there is starting it, don't expect it to um, like work within a week or two. It took about six to eight weeks for me to like notice a difference. Mm. Um, but it does a lot of things too that you like definitely want to be cognizant of. Um, but if you have low testosterone, it can totally affect your life in so many negative ways. Um, and 
my doctor speculated on why he um, sleep could be part of it. He's like, you could have hit your head. I was, I was airborne. So I jumped out of planes a lot. And so like you hit the ground pretty hard sometimes and, you know, just racking your head over and over again, you can get like some brain injuries that affect your testosterone reproduction. Ah, uh, so that's why like in foot, you know, in football players also is like, it could affect exactly. know, all the, the head trauma and things like that. That could reduce your, well, uh, T levels. Yes, that in it, or if uh, probably with some older football players using like steroids and stuff would also uh. affect that as well. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things that my doctor's like, "Hey, I want to you know get you on this, see how see how it works for you, mm-hmm. um, see if we can get you into um, you know at least mid to high levels yeah. um, to where you should be um, for the most part." And that made a huge difference, um, and that actually helped probably me get over some of those withdrawal symptoms of dropping. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, that other medication. Um, but at the same time as well, I stepped up my hiking. I was like, I, like I decided that this was the point I'm quitting this medication. I'm taking control. Mm. Like, and so I was like, I made up my mind that this is what I, and so that's where I started making up those mechanisms to help me get out there. Like whatever it was, I was signing a day to a person, mm-hmm. you know, you know, so I, you know, I'm accountable to them as well as me. Yeah. Um, whether that's figurative or literal, if you have someone like who can, you know, check in on you and say, Hey, you know, how far did you go? Partner. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, that, that helps as well. So whatever works for you. But for me, it was just like, I just had to dig myself out of it. And so increasing my hiking, mm-hmm. you know, really getting that up, um, dropping the medications from, from the VA and then starting testosterone, um, made a huge were there other mechanisms that you employed to get you outside besides thinking about somebody else were there other things that 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 you used to kind of motivate you and get you out of bed in the morning so it's kind of self-fulfilling so once you get started i'd say give it a month if you're consistent if you Mm -hmm. can get out two days a week Mm -hmm. for a month you're gonna start feeling better like you're gonna like when so when i got out of the military i weighed 155 pounds that was my fighting weight like um like I was really strong. I was super agile. Um, I know you personal trained. I personal trained a little bit while I was in the military. Okay. Um, that was like the peak of my physical fitness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I went into management in the casinos, I stopped working out. I started working a lot more. I was uh, constantly drinking like energy drinks and, you know, to get me through my day and eating food that I could eat fast, like just quick. I can grab it and go right. fast food, whatever. I put, I went from 155 to 185. Um, and none of that was muscles. <laughs> I guarantee <laughs> that none of that was muscle. Um, so I think that also contributed greatly. It's just the lack of physical exercise. Um, and I also discovered that I, I, I'm not the person that can go light. Like, so my gym workouts are two hours. Uh, my hikes are 10 miles, 12 right, miles, 14 miles. I'm the same way. And I need that push. I need, I, to, I need to almost come feel close to death. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I had a guy on on the podcast recently, uh, Butch Bradley, very funny comedian. Go back and check that podcast out. Um, and he said, he, he said when he goes to the gym, people always ask him like, "How long do you go for?" He goes, "I go until uh, all the demons uh, have left, or something like that, until my mind is clear." And and that's when that's why I hike. Like, you know those. Those long hikes, I'm just trying to like exercise. Like you said, when you, what was it like frivolous things fall away at yes, a certain point? Absolutely. In the beginning, your mind is just, it's just like meditating. Yep. When you sit to meditate, all this junk comes up. Blah, 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 blah. And then there's a point 
Sometimes it happens in five minutes. Sometimes it takes five hours, whatever. But there's a point where then there's nothing. Exactly. Except like what is really important. Exactly. You can think about that thing that you, you just didn't think you had time to think about or address and like you can really dive into it. Um, and then like I, I was telling you about how this last year, this last summer, I did the John Muir Trail. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know, it's 220 miles. I went from Yosemite toward Mount Whitney. Um, I didn't finish it, but real quick, when I decided to start hiking, so this ties in, I had to set a big goal for myself. I said, I, I want to accomplish something at the end of this that, that is meaningful. Because um, I figured that the meaning that I was giving things that I was doing in the military was the thing that I was missing, is that I felt like nothing I was doing had any meaning to it. Um, so I set this goal of doing the John Muir Trail. And I said, oh, when I go and do this trail... It's going to be this life-changing moment. It's going to be like this just epiphany of, you know, like, oh, everything is good now. And so I trained for two two years, about two and a half years, you know, before I could actually afford to get all the gear that I needed to go because, you know, hi- hiking might be cheap, but through hiking, long-distance yeah. hiking is not cheap <laughs> at all. It is a lot of money if you get good gear and you have to get special food and you Absolutely. have to do all this stuff. Um, so it took me a while being a single dad to kind of like piecemeal this together mm-hmm. over time. Um, and you know, I, comp- I did that this last summer and, uh, anyone that's in the California area or just kind of aware of news, you know, that there were a lot of wildfires in California, um, over this last summer and, you know, even fairly recently. Um, so while I was out there, like there was a, you know, a lot of valleys that were completely covered in smoke. Um, so that, that made it a little bit tougher. Like you're already at 10,000 feet. Um, yeah. Trying to breathe. Yeah. yeah. But, so <laughs> you, you, when you do your research to do this hike, you find out that you, you plan every step of the hike pretty much. You, mm-hmm. you know, you figure where you start, wherever you're going to ha- uh, camp every night, where you're going to pick up food. You know, you're, you, you have all your food rationed out by the day to the exact There's amount of calories itinerary. that you want to get in to make it through that next day. And, you know, I did that because that's what I was told I was supposed to, you know, like I read I was supposed to do. Right. And, and so everyone's like, oh, you want to do like, you know, 10, 12 miles a day. You know, you like don't want to go too crazy. You want to enjoy it. You know, you want to take it in. Um, but that would take three, uh, weeks. three, uh, three yeah, and a half three, weeks. Yeah. And I was like, I can't afford to take that much time off work. And so I was like, I'm going to do it faster, but I'm going to probably maybe average around 12 and then 12 to 14. Like, I'll get a little mm-hmm. higher, and I could knock it out within, like, two and a half weeks. Yeah. My first couple of days out there, and I, I did the miles, and, like, I got done at, like, two in the afternoon. And uh, I was like, what do I do now? Like, I would do my laundry. Like, I'd wash, you know, like, my clothes and hang it up right, to dry, and I'm just right. sitting there, like, twiddling my thumbs. And, like, I didn't feel satisfied. Mm. And so after the second day, I was like, I'm going to see how far I can go in a day. I'm not going to pick a spot. I'm going to see where I make it kind of mm-hmm. thing. As long as you're not like at the top of a mountain, cause you have to keep going. Cause right. you're not really, you can't really camp on the top of a mountain or a pass. Um, and so I found that my happy spot was about 18 miles a day. Mm. Um, and again, this is above 10,000 feet. Yeah. You're going up and over passes. So you're going approaching 12, 13, 14,000 feet toward the end. Um, so it's tough and I loved it. Like I found the harder I pushed myself every day, the better I felt when I set up camp. Like, mm. like I just, oh. like, I got, I, I was so exhausted. I couldn't yeah. even eat really. Like yeah. I was like, I had to force myself Such to eat. Such a great feeling. Yeah. And then, you know, like it, it was, it was nice and it was, 
I discovered that about myself on that trip. It, like that trip wasn't about slowing down and taking it in. That trip for me was about pushing myself and seeing how hard I could go, mm. whether I still had it. Yeah, yeah. And like, and so what happened was about 160 miles into the hike, I stress fractured my foot. I stress fractured three bones. It, like it was coming down off of a pass. I had to do five miles off of this pass mm. to where I was going to stay the night. And uh, I was like, all right. And when I get, got to the point where I was going to stay the night, there's a sign saying, due to wildfires, the National Park Service recommends leaving the trail here. Like going forward is you're doing so at your own risk. And so I was like, me being me, I was like, well, I can still. Like I'm fairly confident I can handle this. Like I was like, but my foot is hurt. I want to see how I feel in the morning. Like, I'm going to stay. I barely could sleep that night. My foot hurt so bad. And then, like, um, oh, real quick, one of my goals on this was I really wanted to see a bear. Like, for some reason, I feel like a bear is my spirit animal. Like, right. So, like, I really wanted to see yeah. a bear out there, which is probably something most hikers say they don't want right. to see. Right, that's the last thing. Um, you had bear spray I, on you, though, right? Nope, nope. Wow. You don't carry any of that. So, yeah. okay. Um <laughs> And so when I was setting up my camp, when I hurt my foot, like I set up my tent and I just put my backpack and my camera, like my nice camera in the tent. I zip the zipper because I'm about to go like eat and I look up and there's this giant bear like 30 feet from me, just like probably like 800 pounds. I don't know if that's the right amount for a bear, but <laughs> he seemed like a, like a small car. And he like, as soon as I saw him, he saw me. He just like looked over and uh, he just looked back and just kept walking, just kind of moseying on his way. Ah, uh, like so I was, there, there weren't any cubs close, so it oh, didn't no, feel yeah. protective. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Um, or, and he's probably full. Like, full. He's, yeah, uh, like, like I, I don't think the bears in central California are very aggressive gotcha. for any, um, they're not like grizzlies or anything like that. Um, but it was like as I'd laid there the next morning, not having slept very well, had read that sign walking where I set up my camp and my foot was just killing me and I was just like, I saw the bear. Like I, I was like, I have to take that as a sign that, the, that, that you're done. <laughs> that, and I was like, you know, and I promised my daughter, I was like, I'm not going to do anything that would put me in undue wow. hazard. Right. Like I'm not right. like, yes, there is some inherent risk in doing what I'm doing. Right. Um, and you know, like that was important for me to teach her that life is about risk. You're going to accept a certain amount of risk to accomplish what you want to accomplish. But there does have to be a point where you say this risk isn't worth what the reward was, like we talked about earlier. Um, and it wasn't. I was like, you know what? My foot could get worse. Yeah. I could stumble into this wildfire and not be able to get out as quick as I really should be able right. to get out. So I was like, I need to leave. Um, so a tough decision. I've been planning this hike for two and a half years. Like, you know, like it weighed on me heavy. Like, But I was like this is the right decision. It's the right decision. And like, I have to be that example for my daughter that, Hey, when you know, you've reached your limit, like when you don't feel like you can perform at the level you should, that you need to be able to say, okay, I, I need to take a break. You know, and, and that's such an important lesson because, uh, the other day when I went, I've been hiking almost every day since I've been in Vegas. And, uh, and I went to, I've, the first day I went hiking out, I, I wanted to do the six-mile hike. Four miles in, I was like, oh, man, I, I don't know if I got the other two. There's two more to get to the top. 
and uh, I decided to turn around and come back because I, I didn't I didn't eat enough before I wasn't hydrated. I knew I wasn't prepared to really to give this hike what it what it required, and it was really windy. And as I'm coming down, there's this French guy going up, and he's like, "Oh, did you finish the the loop?" And I was like, "Nah." And there was a part of me that felt bad yeah. for not finishing. Yeah. But instead of saying I didn't finish, I told him, I said instead, I'm done. And and I, I'm I'm saying that as a le- uh, as a lesson to to everybody who's listening out there is that we, we there's such a stigma around quitting something, especially for people who are A types. A lot of people A types say like, I gotta finish, and it's not is da da da. Like instead of thinking you have to finish, listen for when you're done. There's a point during that hike where I was like, I'm done, I am done, and that's enough. There's now you're validating yourself and you're you you've empowered yourself versus saying, oh, I quit or I didn't finish. That kind of diminishes the work that you did do. Exactly, right? exactly. And, and and then you you feel bad and there's like some shame and guilt and. And 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 then you kind of you know you you kind of playing it small, but when you say I'm done, there's a sense of accomplishment with that. And so I told myself I said next day, the next day I went back to the hike. I was like I'm going to finish that hike. But now I know what to do because, you know, I went halfway up, you know, four miles in the day before, and now I know what to do. At least I think I know what to do now for the. And I was able to finish it the second day, but, you know, instead of thinking oh I quit or um, I didn't finish. I'm done. I'm like you having a conversation with somebody and they want to argue. We're done here. Like yeah, that's there's it. something powerful <laughs> exactly. about saying done. We're done. Yeah, your brain's <laughs> like okay, we got this. Cool, we understand now. And uh, and I think the most important part is you should be done because you actually got off the couch. Yeah, absolutely. You got to where you needed mm-hmm. to be, mm-hmm. and you tried. Yes. You, that, and that, at the end of the day, like with getting outside, getting exercise. I don't care if you go into the gym for 15 minutes or two hours, mm. you got in there The attempt, and it man. gets easier mm. as you do that. Yes. You know, just like you talk about where like, if you're feeling those thoughts of suicide, call the first time, force yourself to call yeah. that first time. Cause it gets easier yeah. and you have that support system there for you. Absolutely. So, and yeah, just getting off the couch, like you could say I'm done at any point because that's up to you. Yes. Like you decide, like you're in charge of this. So you're in charge of your, your, your recovery. Like no one else is going to do that for you. Mm. Like it's a decision that I made. Mm. Like, and like when I had to go 15 miles up and over another mountain to get out of there. And like, I was crying sometimes because yeah. it hurt so bad. Oh, wow. Like, like I could barely breathe. Cause I'm putting, like I had to readjust my walking sticks every like, you know, 300 yards because yeah. I'm using them to support my weight so yeah, much because yeah. I couldn't put weight down on my foot. Um, and then, like, I got home and, you know, I took a few days off. I didn't go back to work right away, you know, yeah. like, which my first inclination from the military is, like, I can go back to work, you know, like. Um, but I took a few days off and I just kind of, like, let it absorb exactly everything that happened. I took it in. I looked back through my photos that I took while I was out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just kind of just you know, really took in what I just did. It was two and a half years in the making. Like I didn't complete it. You know, like I, you know, I did 160 miles of it, which part of me said I was really down on myself. 
like leaving the trail, like part of me felt like a failure. Like I didn't finish what I set out to do. I've been planning this for so long. I don't know when I'm going to be able to come back and finish this, if ever. And then like just being able to take that time to myself and really think about it. When I went to work, you know, like someone said it exactly like, oh man, that must suck so bad to plan something for so long and not finish it. And what I realized when I took that extra couple of days off is I finished it before I even really started it. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I accomplished what I wanted to by getting out and training every, like three, four days a week and putting in those miles and learning more about myself and how to deal with what my thoughts are and my thought patterns and, and setting a goal and getting and doing it. Like, mm-hmm. even if I didn't finish it, it wasn't my fault. Like it, I did the best thing for me. I could have hurt myself more. I could have kept hiking. But if I messed up my foot too much, I could be permanently injured right. and then not be able to hike anymore. Right. Now we got a whole other set of problems. Exactly. Then. Which right. so it's I that life changing event wasn't on the hike. It was real like and it sounds so cheesy, like where it's like it's not the destination, it's the journey. It really was the journey. I just forced myself to get out there and work hard to get to that goal. And like it made all the difference. And, you know, the beautiful part is, of course, if this were a movie, then your daughter would then go on a hike and finish it and be like, this is for you, Dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope when she gets a little older, she'll uh, let me kind of maybe drag her along on something like that. We'll get away, like, before she goes off to college or something. <laughs> uh, always like to end every podcast with uh, three things we're grateful for. And uh, I'll go first. Um Three things I'm grateful for. One is uh, you sharing like your um, uh, amazing story w- with me. I-, I think so many people don't realize how many amazing stories they have in themselves. Uh, and because I was just listening to someone, uh, or yesterday I was reading his book. I'm, re- I'm reading his book, Contagious, because you read a lot of uh, self help books, also, yep. right? Yeah. Um, and he and they were talking about how talking about yourself and eating ice cream, you know. Uh, elicits the same, uh, releases the same uh, dopamine or endorphins or feel-good drugs in your body, uh, which is why it's good to call the 1-800 number or just talk to somebody about what you're going through. So, no, next time you want to reach for the ice cream or reach for the drink or reach for the drug that really you just want someone to talk to. Uh, because that's usually when I've called it is late at night where like I want a snack or, you know. Feeling uh, lonely. Yeah. Got to feel like, that, that hole. Absolutely. Uh, so one, like I said, I'm grateful that you shared your story and, and hopefully it encourages others. I'm sure it'll, it'll encourage others to share their stories and to talk. Um, two, I'm grateful for, be, you know, being able to get outdoors and having a place to hike because, you know, I live in L.A. and uh, it's challenging for me to, to walk around and hike. So I'm really grateful for the, the amazing weather that's allowed me to go out and to have the lifestyle that I can have where I can spend my day hiking, you know. Uh, and then the third thing I'm grateful for uh, in my family. Like I have such, you talk about support groups. I'm so grateful that uh, I have a number of people in my family that I feel connected to, close to, uh, and, uh, and that we laugh with and, and, and share holidays with and things like that. Uh, to, to have that tribe through blood that that you know you, you have you have your brother you have your brotherhood is just something strong about we talk about money and status but f- 
feeling connected to a person or a place or like I said, when I went hiking, I felt connected to nature. So it doesn't have to be a per- a lot of people are like looking for love, but you you can you can find love around you and find connection. So um, turn it over to you, Jake. Yeah, I def- definitely. I'd, I'd say the hugest influence in my life has been you know, obviously my daughter. Um, she's been like an anchor for me the whole way, kind of kept me grounded, kept my like eye on the prize type situation yes, yeah. where, you know, you just realize why you're working so hard. Um, so I'm lucky enough to have, you know, like that amazing little person in my life that kind of, you know, believes in me no matter what. I'm like, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's hard to explain exactly what that feels like. Um, you know, and, and then definitely, you know, the other people in my life that have been so supportive of me and, you know, um, I think it's super important to get the most out of those people that care about you is you have to be a hundred percent honest with them because mm-hmm. they don't assume that they could ever know how you feel. Um, mm-hmm. But real good friends will try and stick by your side and they'll, they'll learn, they'll never understand, but they'll, they'll understand that they don't understand the kind of thing. I know that sounds confusing, but, and, but they'll still be there, yes. you know, like, Hey, I don't know what you're going through, but like, I'm, I'm if you here. need to talk, yeah, Absolutely. let's do it. Let's go on a hike. Let's go someplace. Um, that, and uh, I would say, you know, the people that love you the most are the ones that are going to always be there for you. Um, but also, I'm thankful for, the, for this podcast, man. This is amazing, amazing platform um, for people. It's something that they can do, you know, on, on their own. You can download this while, if you want to go out and try hiking. Like, listen to some of these while you're, it puts you in a positive mindset. It gets you kind of thinking about, good thoughts instead of negative thoughts, mm-hmm. um, which can definitely dominate you. Um, Absolutely. I, I, Absolutely. I find outdoors, like I have a lot less negative thoughts because there's so many beautiful things. Yeah. Like if you hide away in a room, like it's easy to think about just darkness. And, and, and But if you get outside and you see flowers and clouds, like my favorite thing is clouds. Oh, <laughs> on, a, on a cloudy day. Oh, I'm a photographer. So if I can get a good picture with some nice clouds, oh, it makes me very happy. Uh, my girlfriend know exactly what, like she will be talking about something in the car and then like a cloud will catch my attention. I'll be like, oh, geez. She just rolls her eyes like, really? Um, but yeah, this podcast is an amazing platform. Um, I pre- thank you for having me on thank here. Thank you for being um, on, And let me, you know, you. tell some of my story. Um, Absolutely. It, it means a lot to me. I was really excited, looking forward to, to being too. here. Me too. Too, man. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening in and tuning in. Uh, and this will be up, what's today? Saturday. This will be up Monday. Uh, so uh, we'll see you. We'll talk to you again Thursday. All right. Thank you. This is Before You Kill Yourself. Please share. Please comment uh, on Apple iTunes. Uh, and and uh, and I, I love the people who are sharing. It. The, the, it's, it's incredible, the reach and the responses uh, that I've had. I'm, I meant to, in the next episode, I'm going to um, read. Uh, I've been getting emails and letters and stuff from people talking, to, uh, sharing with me how it's uh, helped them and, and uh, impacted their life. So I'll, I'll be sharing that in the next episode. Thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, be safe and take care of yourself.